the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists released a report on girls and adolescents, and they acknowledged that menstruation should be recognized as a vital sign, right? So it's gone on to be referred to as the fifth vital sign. And what I think is so great about that is that what they're saying is that it is like all the other vital signs, as in the patient's heart rate and respiratory rate and blood pressure and body temperature. And so those are the four established vital signs. And so this one, your menstrual cycle, is quote unquote the fifth one. And that is how important it is. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast, all about reinventing your health with safer, cheaper, more effective natural solutions and powerful lifestyle changes so that you become the CEO of your health. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder. What if your menstrual cycle was your fifth vital sign? Just and equally as important as the other four vital signs of your body as an indicator of your overall health, such as body temperature, pulse rate, breathing respiratory rate, and blood pressure. Now, if this statement is making you think, huh, Why haven't I been taught this before? Well, my amazing guest, Nicole Jardim, and I have felt the same way. And we will be sharing our stories about when we figured out that our menstrual cycles were a key indicator of our overall health. Now, if you want some proof that your menstrual cycle is indeed important enough to be deemed your fifth vital sign, in 2004, the Society for Menstrual Cycle Research Yes, there is a Society for Menstrual Cycle Research, thankfully. They co-sponsored a scientific forum called The Menstrual Cycle is a Vital Sign. Medical experts presented research showing evidence that the menstrual cycle is, in fact, a vital sign as a key indicator of overall well-being. Finally, 10 years later in 2015, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists Committee in Adolescent Healthcare published a menstrual, a menstruation in girls and adolescents using the menstrual cycle as a vital sign. The study included an extensive evaluation of the menstrual cycle in adolescent girls as an additional vital sign and found that just as abnormal blood pressure, heart rate, or respiratory rate may be a key to diagnosing potentially serious health concerns, identification of abnormal menstrual patterns in adolescents may improve early identification of potential health concerns for adulthood. Now, this committee asserted that if menstrual cycles do not function within normal parameters, general health is at risk because multiple body systems are impacted by menstrual dysfunction. Committee clinicians emphasized the critical role of menstrual patterns in reflecting overall health status, and they recommended that this information along with other vital signs, be within the review of systems and history of presentation of illness. This is a really big deal, and yet a lot of us don't recognize how important our menstrual cycle plays on our overall health. Well, today, Nicole Jardim, who is one of my besties and also known as a period fixer, she is going to go deep in this area, not only into the endocrine system, but also exploring the role that our cycle plays in our overall health, but also touching upon root causes of hormonal imbalance. And you know how much I love to talk about that. Now, before Nicole comes on to share her incredible wisdom around owning your cycle as a fifth vital sign, I want to share a quick little, quick little resource that I created for you to support your hormone journey. Since we're talking about that hormone journey, I created this perfect little cheat sheet. It has my six favorite 
even not even just favorite they are my best hormone support remedies to deal with some of the biggest issues around hormonal imbalance especially stress mood swings brain fog fatigue and even emotional eating we know that that can be tied to hormonal imbalance as well and here is why i created this for you When it comes to having a rescue plan in place for hormonal imbalance, oils, as you know, are one of my favorite ways to creating positive hormone changes in the body, but also creating wonderful daily habits that you can begin to implement almost immediately. And the results that you will experience will be immediate and transformational. And who doesn't want that? I know I do. It's probably why I use them every single day. So these top six oils and recipe blends are going to address sleep, fatigue, sugar cravings, brain fog, hot flashes, mood swings. I mean, I'm covering the gamut. For me today, as you know, I have my blends with me all the time. I already used my instant energy blend, my brain fog be gone blend, and I used my my little hormone synergy blend as well. Just because it's so nice to have these at your fingertips anytime you're feeling like you need a little pick me up or you need to kind of get your mood right. That's why I love them. So I am going to have it in the show notes, this wonderful little cheat sheet for you to grab with the recipes and the directions, everything that you need. It's going to be in the show notes for episode 145, or you can just go to drmarisa.com slash hormone blends. So now that you've got this great little resource that you can go and grab any moment now, I want to take a moment and celebrate you. Every single day, I hear from new listeners who were recommended by you. One such listener is Tammy from Brooklyn, New York. She reached out to me on Instagram just a couple days ago, and here's what she had to say. Hearing my two favorite people on an interview was such a treat for me. Thank you so much for bringing on Sherry Salata to share her story about owning midlife and redefining what it looks like for herself and for all of us transitioning into the next phase of our lives and needing to get clear about what is important and what we need to let go of. My favorite quote that she spoke, if not now, when? And now is the time for me. Well, thank you so much, Tammy, for jumping in and sharing how much you loved that interview. I love me some Sherry Salata as well. And her amazing episode, which was episode 131 on how to create new possibilities and achieve your dreams at any age, I thought was so incredible. Tammy, if you are listening and you are open to receiving a copy of my book, we would love to send it to you. Just reach out to me on Instagram or Facebook and we will get you a signed copy of the Essential Oil Hormone Solution book, ASAP. Now, if you are listening, number one, welcome to this show. This podcast, if you're listening for the first time, it's all about empowerment. And if you're listening for multiple times, if this episode or these podcasts have helped you in any any way at all, I would love to shout you out. You can reach out to me via Instagram, Facebook, or what I would really, really love is if you reviewed this podcast on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you love to plug into. Here's the thing. There aren't enough women's health podcasts out there, and there are so many misconceptions and myths around women's hormone health. Even today's topic, it's so clear that we really need to dig deeper into this work. And what I know for sure is that when women are armed with information, they are unstoppable. So please continue to share this in any way that feels authentic and amazing for you. Because when we get this information out there, women become the CEO of their health. 
Now let's jump into this amazing conversation with my dear friend, Nicole. But before I bring her on, I want to sing her praises. Nicole is a certified women's health coach and the creator of Fix Your Period, a series of programs that empower women to claim their hormone health using a method that combines simplicity and sass. Her incredible work has impacted the thousands of lives of women around the world, addressing issues like PMS, PCOS, infertility, and many more. Nicole is the co-host of The Period Party, a top-rated podcast on iTunes. Be sure to tune in if you want to learn more about how to fix your period. She's also a keynote speaker for the highly acclaimed Cycles and Sex, a platform and event series devoted to building awareness and education around menstrual health, hormonal health, and reproductive health. Let's bring this powerhouse on. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast, Nicole Jardim. Honey, how are you doing? Hi, Marisa. I'm great. How are you? Oh my gosh. I've been wanting to get you on for so long. Not only are we besties and across the nation, you in New York and me here in San Diego, but you know, you are my go-to expert when it comes to the menstrual cycle, when it comes to fixing your period. I mean, girl, you are the period girl. And you know, so many questions have come in for this podcast to talk more about this, to get more clarity on this. And I was like, when, when I started seeing those questions, I was like, I know exactly the woman who I need. And I know you've been busy finishing up on your book, which we will get to talk about next year. You'll be coming back to talk about that. But I've been, I've been holding space that you have, you have an opening for us to come on in. And so we're going to be talking about really getting to know your menstrual flow, getting to know your menstrual cycle, because it tells you so much. Can you tell, can you tell everybody that it's a key indicator for your overall health? Can you just say that for, for all of us? A hundred percent. So it's so interesting because back in 2005, the Society for Menstrual Cycle Research, that research body does actually exist. (laughs) I was going to say, does that exist? Can you believe that? I know it really does. I actually go to their conference. There's hope. (laughs) There is hope in the world that we care about women's health. Yes, we do. I mean, there is definitely hope in the world for this, for periods and menstrual cycle health in general. But what's so fascinating about this is years ago, so this is like 15 years ago, they co-sponsored this forum called the menstrual cycle is a fifth vital sign. And then in 10 years later, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists released a report on girls and adolescents, and they acknowledged that menstruation should be recognized as a vital sign, right? So it's gone on to be referred to as the fifth vital sign. And what I think is so great about that is that what they're saying is that it is like all the other vital signs, as in the patient's heart rate and respiratory rate and blood pressure and body temperature. And so those are the four established vital signs. And so this one, your menstrual cycle is quote unquote, the fifth one. And that is how important it is. It's basically the thing that's going to, you know, help you determine what's going on with all these other aspects of your health. And yet we are not focusing on it. And even though these important bodies of research and and the, you know, director of obstetrics is saying that, Hey, this is a fifth vital sign. I do not see it being passed down. It's not really necessarily where I, I hear general practitioners talking about. And absolutely. I think a lot of people, it's one of those things. I mean, I don't know if it's culturally or what, it's just an area that we just haven't been focusing our efforts. I think until just really recently, is that, are you seeing a shift a little bit in, in women focusing more on this or beginning to realize how important it is? 
A huge shift. I, it really is fascinating to me. You know, as in my book, In Fix Your Period, I was talking about this, about the fact that in 2015, you know, the ACOG did make a reference to your menstrual cycle being a vital sign. And interestingly, in that same year, the period was, it was quote unquote dubbed the year of the period by NPR. And it was really the time when things started to shift. Like Donald Trump, he made fun of Megyn Kelly, a news reporter for being on her period of, you know, some kind of silly, stupid joke like that. And it sort of like unleashed this firestorm from women in the general public. And from there, it's just sort of been this like snowball effect over the last four years. And it's really cool to see because you see it in not only in like the products that are available for periods, whether that's, you know, uh, period panties or, you know, like different at-home delivery services for menstrual care products or, you know, like apps. I mean, there's just a plethora of apps nowadays and all kinds of like electronic devices. And then we have fertility devices. I mean, we have so many things that have shown up on the market in the last four years. And I think that that very much is linked back to this thing that happened in 2015, this uprising, so to speak. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I remember that so vividly. And I absolutely agree with you. I think especially with women, younger women in their twenties and into their thirties, we're paying a lot of attention, but I know that, you know, earlier generations, it just wasn't an area that we were focusing a lot of effort on. We weren't talking a lot of, so I think, you know, and that's a lot of the women that I serve, you know, some of them still are, are unknown. And even with this, I think about the awareness, we also still know that if we take a condition like PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, that we know 50% of the women who have PCOS don't even know that they have it. So we still have a lot of work to do. Although that we do see the market really helping to tailor to us as women and understanding our cycle and getting to, to actually evaluate and track it, we still know that women are struggling. And so what I want to spend some time on, not only in kind of what are some of our resources and why this is so important, but you know, when we're looking at our menstrual cycle as that key indicator, we know that it if something isn't right, it's indicating that there may be a hormonal imbalance. So can we talk about like what does a hormonal imbalance actually look like? Like what should we be looking for? And if we're talking specifically about reproductive hormones, what hormones are actually involved? This is sort of the fundamental question, I believe, because we do not have any education around this. Like there's really, you know, I mean, yes, our parents sometimes share information and I think it's definitely getting better. There's no doubt. But girl, what did you learn when you were younger about your period or just how your body works? I mean, were you just sort of dependent on school? A whole lot of nothing. I was. Yeah. A whole lot of nothing. I, I mean, my period happened. I remember I was, I was at a roller skating ring. I was about to turn 12 years old and I had a little boyfriend at the time as this little surfer boy. Cause we were in Ventura, California and we were all skating. I don't know exactly what was like playing at the skating ring. And I had little jean shorts on and this is, oh my gosh, this has got to be 91. I think it is 91. And I have my little top that it has like on the side, it's been pulled to the side with like a little, like a scrunchie or whatever. And I'm getting my skate on and I go to the bathroom and I've literally soaked through my shorts. And I was like, oh my God, like I didn't know what to do about this. Luckily my shirt was long enough that I could cover it. And I remember coming home and my mom just handed me some pads and that was, we didn't even have a conversation. There wasn't a conversation about it. We just, that was it. And just trying to manage that. And, 
and not really knowing what to do about it, except that I had these pads. I didn't understand what, what, what was going on or all of a sudden just one day you're just you know, bleeding from your vagina and no one's telling you what's going on. Exactly. I mean, if that's not traumatizing, I don't know what is. And I've heard, you know, some variation of what you've just described pretty much from everyone. I mean, there are very few women who have spoken to me about being educated about what was actually happening to them. And for me, it was similar. My mom was really excited for me and didn't really offer a whole lot of information. And I went to a Catholic high school and our sex education class was called Christian Family Life education. So you can, you you can imagine what, what that entailed. It was embarrassing. Yeah. It's not, here's the thing about, and not to say that that isn't, I I love that people are attending and getting that really amazing uh, moral experience, religious experience, but like, let's be honest in those instances, no one's breaking down the menstrual cycle. No one's empowering girls to understand their menstrual cycle, especially in, in a classroom setting like that. It's just not designed for that. And that's exactly right. You're so right. It was not that. Like it was more along the lines of don't have sex. Uh, Whatever you do, just do not do that. And so that was sort of the antithesis of what we really needed to learn. And it was not exactly helpful. It's so crazy like that, like, and so often, I mean, I think about like, I mean, I come from a Catholic upbringing and I know I've told you this story before in, in private, but like my grandmother was like, listen, there is a devil between a man's legs to my mom and just stay away from it. Like that it was abstinence abstinence was your only option. And unfortunately, my mom ended up having me when I was 18 years old or she was 18 years old. So that did, clearly didn't work. I did, yeah, not so much. It not doesn't so really much. work so well from what I've noticed either. When we fast forward many, many years to right 20s and 30s, you're still, I think so many of us are carrying the stigma, the shame, the story around our first period experience, especially if there was no conversation around it or norm- normalization around it either. So I always tell women that you can rewrite your period story. Like you can actually change that. You can't change change the beginning, but you can change your perspective on it. And I think that's so critical. And so when we come back to, you know, what hormonal imbalances actually look like and all that, again, we just never were taught what hormones are, you know, what, what exactly they do in our bodies. And so I always refer to the hormonal system as this hormonal hierarchy, because I really think it's so important for us to understand that hormones are, are, first of all, the endocrine system, which is the system that that governs our hormones and what they do in our bodies. Right. And governs everything. Well, yeah, really. Right. I know. Exactly. And that's the other thing too, everyone who's listening. Hormones are responsible for pretty much everything. If you want to eat, you want to sleep, you want to have sex, you're happy, you're anxious. You want to think sad, you're tired. Exactly. All of it. You want to wake up in the morning. You want to go to bed at night. (laughs) Exactly. I know. Basically from the moment you wake up to the moment you wake up again, (laughs) it's all covered pretty much. And so this idea that you're, you know, you have powerful hormones, some are more powerful than other hormones. And, and that's where, you know, we run into problems because we have normalized the symptoms that we experience in our modern crazy world. And we don't recognize them as being subtle red flags along the way. And then we get to the point where we start to have menstrual cycle problems. And then we think, oh my God, our bodies are broken. (laughs) There's something wrong with them. And that's actually not the case. Your body is, again, is just responding to what it's being given, right? So if you're living in a state of 
you know, perpetual mental and emotional stress, it's going to trickle down because cortisol, epinephrine, all of these stress hormones, eventually in the short term, they're great. I mean, they do exactly what they're meant to do in the short term. They were not set up in the, for for doing what they're doing in the long term. And unfortunately, our environment facilitates that. It really enables this hormonal havoc, so to speak. And so when we have cortisol and other stress hormones that are just chronically dysregulated, it's going to have a trickle-down effect on our, our hormones that govern our menstrual cycle, namely estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. So a lot of the time, right, we think, oh yeah, we don't even we don't have a hormonal imbalance until like we develop symptoms that are really, you know, that are debilitating or are disrupting our lives. But that's not actually true. Cortisol is one of those hormones and insulin is another one of those that, you know, again, like we were not set up to eat the way we eat in our society. And as a result, you know, we have chronically dysregulated levels of insulin. And so I call these like the life and death hormones because they are responsible for life and death situations, but they're also, you know, they're going to you know, they mean business when they are dysregulated. And as a result, we end up in a situation with, with all of these different types of hormonal imbalances, but there's a root root cause to that. Mm, there absolutely is. And I, I'm excited to talk about that as well. And you are right. Can we speak really quickly before we get into the root cause? And I'm so, cause I love me some root cause girl, but I wanted to just speak to, can we talk about the normalization of women and pain and women and menstrual cramps and how this is really detrimental to us in terms of at the doctor's office? Can we just, I just would love to take a moment and really not only shine light, but also give women permission that if something doesn't feel right, if it's abnormal to them, that there's something that is definitely wrong. Can we speak a little bit to that? Yes. I find this phenomenon fascinating, by the way, like the fact that in our society, maybe you hurt your lower back or you sprain your ankle or you break a bone or whatever, you like have pain in other parts of your body that you go to the doctor and they'll, in most cases, you know, they'll make a genuine effort to help you (laughs) for the most part, you know, like whether you're getting painkillers or you're getting an x-ray or an MRI, or you're getting a cast, whatever that is, you're going, or even surgery in some cases, they're going to make an effort to help you. But for whatever reason, well, I know the reasons we'll get to that. We do not take pain in our uteruses as seriously for many reasons, but that is a huge problem. When it's uterine pain, it's completely normalized. It is totally normal now to have that kind of pain, sometimes debilitating, and for a doctor to just dismiss it. And that is totally unacceptable to me. And so why is that? Is it because it's only female-based pain? Is it because we have a quote-unquote reputation of being irrational and hypochondriacs and you know we quote unquote lose our minds every month with PMS or you know we're hysterical like what is is causing that and you know a lot of that is is also rooted in medical bias as well there is definitely a gender bias when it comes to how um, medicine conducts itself so that's real so there are multiple reasons I think that are contributing to this but at the end of the day like I always say this when you have menstrual pain that disrupts your life and when I say that what I mean is you can't leave the house or you have to stay in bed for a few hours or you have to take large doses of ibuprofen or some other kind of painkiller. In fact, I've met many women who are on opioids medication, opioid medication for their pain caused by endometriosis. You have to start to look deeper. Like You've got to figure this out because you deserve better and no one should tell you 
that this is okay. Because it's not okay. You wouldn't be walking around with a sprained ankle and be expected to be functioning normally and and just going about your business. Like you would actually be told to rest. Like don't put weight on this ankle. And here's how long you have to do that for. Yet for whatever reason, we're just like I said, medicated and and sent on our way. So if you are if you have period pain that stops you from doing things in your life or, you know, once a month or however often it happens, because for women with a condition like endometriosis, for instance, you may have pain all throughout the month. And then if you have to take more than just one dose of, you know, ibuprofen to address that pain, then you've got something else going on. That's my experience. Thank you so much for shedding light on that. I just wanted to have you speak to that because so often I know that women are put to the wayside or they're just told it's normal um, to just, you know, really just being told to ignore it. And, you know, there's, it's, it's important that we're educated that it's not, and that there are things that we can do about it. Absolutely. Okay. So let's, let's go back into root causes because root causes is where I love to live because exactly what you said, our reproductive hormones, again, fifth vital sign of what's going on, tracking our menstrual cycle. And what that tells us is that's an indicator. Your hormones are saying something. They're like, hmm, something isn't right here. But these reproductive hormones, they are downstream from not only other hormones that could deregulate, like our stress hormones, our metabolic hormones, and our, our thyroid hormones, right? All of these kind of the bigger drivers up here. But guess what? Those hormones don't just choose to become imbalanced either. Something has to throw them off. And let's talk a little bit about those root causes. And let's get real about the root causes that are existing because a lot of those things, we can make some pretty big changes on our own when it comes to healing our bodies. Yes, girl. Oh my gosh, definitely. There's so much. Like, And I think, like I said, that we have, you know, we've really made it completely okay, at least in the Western world, to just be going constantly and never shutting off. I mean, it's not surprising that so many of us have ADHD (laughs) and all of these conditions because we're, you know, I call it the age of chronic overstimulation. We really are. We're just, our bodies are so overexposed to all these different elements and they're just coming at us uh, in a way that, you know, is unprecedented. I mean, 50 years ago, 90% of what we're doing to ourselves just didn't exist. We didn't have these external stimuli affecting us in the way that it, that they are. So when you think of your brain, you think of it as command central, right? The quote unquote hormonal headquarters, and it keeps all the systems in your body working in harmony for the most part. And so I consider that to be the dispatch center of your endocrine system and your adrenal glands are like the first responders. And so when you've got all of this stuff coming in, your brain is processing it, and then it's sending a hormone to your adrenal glands and telling your adrenal glands to respond to whatever it is that it's interpreting as an external source of stress. And in many cases, it's not just external sources of stress, right? It's also internal things, right? Do we have food allergies? Are you know are we eating something that's triggering like an internal stress response? Do we have chronic infections like Lyme disease, for instance, or an autoimmune condition or cancer? Or, you know, it's, it could be childhood trauma. Like, were we abused in some way as a child? And is that affecting how we actually handle stress as an adult, right? Because perceived stress is just as challenging to deal with as stress that we actually are experiencing in the moment. And so there, you know, there are multiple things, you know, things that we don't even think about, like EMFs or electromagnetic frequencies from our cell phones and our laptops or 
the street light that's shining through our bedroom window. I mean, there are lots of, of different ways that we can, our body can interpret something as being stressful. And again, we all interpret it a little bit differently. So we have this stress response happening, your adrenals are those first responders, and then they send out all of the hormones that need to be sent out in order to help you cope with whatever is happening. And then, like I said, you know, that could be cortisol. I mean, it's like multiple hormones, DHEA, cortisol, epinephrine, norepinephrine. So these are, you know, some of the main stress hormones that are released. And of course, like I said, that has this downstream effect, right? Our bodies are prehistoric creatures. You know, I always ask people to visualize themselves like, you know, a hundred thousand years ago as part of a hunter, hunter gatherer tribe. Like you're out one day, you're foraging for berries or whatever. And, you know, out of the corner of your eye, you see a lion or you see some animal that is a threat to you. And immediately your brain registers that threat, right? And then you're, it's instructing your adrenal glands to start doing the whole thing that they do. And then in that moment, your adrenals are literally saving your life, right? Cortisol is saving your life. It's taking offline all the other functions, your digestion, your reproductive system, because let's face it, no, none of us are trying to get pregnant or have a baby <laughs> when we're in the midst of running for our lives. So if cortisol is saving our life in that moment. But like I said, in that long term, you know, we've got now a lifetime of traffic jams and financial problems and work deadlines and taking care of elderly parents or whatever it is. And these might not be life-threatening, but our bodies are just reacting the same way because that's how they've been programmed to react for hundreds of thousands of years. So we're at a point now where I think that we all have to do a little bit of recon around what it is that is happening in our lives. Like are, you know, you could be eating great. Cause I hear this a lot too, right? I'm like, I'm eating great. And I don't have a lot of stress. And then I think, well, there's gotta be a deeper level to that or another layer that you have to uncover if you're still experiencing symptoms that are disrupting your life. So that's, you know, what I, I would say for so many people to start to think about. And especially when it comes to this, you know, this HPA axis dysfunction, which is, you know, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. And so when you think about that axis, there are other axes in the body as well, right? There's a hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axis, and then there's the thyroid axis. And so if you think about these, these are all sort of meshed together. And if your brain is constantly taking in all these things, right, your hypothalamus and your pituitary not only send signals to your adrenals, but they send signals to your ovaries, to your thyroid. So you can imagine that if you are constantly bombarded, then it might mix up the signals <laughs> to your ovaries or your thyroid, or it just might become overwhelmed. And then the system starts to break down. So when I ask women to think about the first signs of a hormonal imbalance, like the red flags, the things are not even related to your period. I mean, they're like difficulty falling or staying asleep or getting a second win late at night and, you know, feeling that tired but wired feeling. And then, you know, waking up after what you would consider to be a decent amount of sleep. It's like seven to eight hours, but really just can't, you know, constantly hitting the snooze button. And then these mid-morning, mid-afternoon energy crashes and feeling hangry. I feel like PMS symptoms are definitely one of those signs as well. And then like, you know, brain stuff, like cognitive behavioral issues, like brain fog, fatigue, depression, just and like the inability, I think, to handle life stressors. So these are the things that you actually have to be looking at. If you're noticing that that's happening, then that's a sign of hormonal imbalance. But we just don't know that because we think that that's just so normal in our lives. 
Mm, absolutely. I amen to all of that. And it's so interesting as you're describing, you know, what those symptoms actually look like. It may not even be those reproductive symptoms until down the road. It felt so much like me in my late twenties, early thirties. And here's the beautiful thing about all of it. Yeah, absolutely. That's when we start to really hit, you know, cause you can only go full tilt for so long and then eventually it will catch up. <laughs> it just happens that it starts to catch up with us. I mean, for some women, we didn't see it really catching up for, to them until their late mid to late thirties. And now we're seeing it happening earlier. And I think the reason why we're seeing it happening early is the food choices, is the toxins, is the environmental exposure. You know, you add the trauma in which all of us have, you add the stress, which so many of us are going through consistently, unconsciously every single day. If you were like me, you were using it as fuel because you thought you could get away with it until you couldn't. And, and it just starts to compound in so many of us are in that boat. But the beautiful thing really is, and, and I think that you brought a little bit of light to it, was that there's some great things that we can do to make those changes ourselves. Mind you, some of those root causes that you address, whether it's a nutrient deficiency or if it's a hidden infection, or if, even if it's trauma, you may need to go and get further support in those areas and really uncover what it is. But changing the way that we eat, how we mitigate stress, how do we manage toxins, a lot of that we can get control over. We can make those changes. Now, I'm not saying it's easy, but you know, to me, I don't know about you, girl, but it's a non-negotiable. Totally. A hundred percent. And I think that a huge part of that is potentially what well, was for me. And I've sensed that from a lot of clients too, is that it impacts you at such a young age, man, do you realize really young that your health is everything. And people who don't develop health issues when they're younger take so much for granted. And that for me was my biggest lesson was that I needed to take care of myself because clearly my body was a little bit more sensitive than other people's. And your health is literally everything. If you don't have that, you have no life. So yes, non-negotiable. Absolutely. Well, and here's the thing Mm -hmm. too, is that if you're struggling with period issues in your 20s, best believe it's coming for you at perimenopause and it is coming for you at menopause too. Because ultimately, whatever's happening inside the body, we know that the core root of it, it's inflammation. And your hormones do not do well with inflammation. Your body and your cells do not do well with inflammation. And if you're having struggles of inflammation and hormonal imbalance early, it's not going to get better. It's not going to get better. And so watching my mom, such a great example of this, struggled with her hormones her whole life, definitely really horrible PMS. I mean, to the point where I think she had PMDD going into perimenopause. Oh my goodness. She struggled so much. And then when she hit menopause and at that point, the, the, the big light bulb came on because that's when we oftentimes think women are going to be struggling like, Oh, that's when we're going to hit the, we're going to hit a wall there. So then it was very clear to my mom at the time that she was very much in what she thought was hormone hell. And she did a major revamp, a major reset. I took over her care and, you know, she just ran a marathon last weekend and then got up the next day at 530 in the morning and did another little run. And I'm like, who is, anyways, like, you know, and she's, I am not going to say how old she is right now, but um, (laughs) I guess I'm not allowed to, but (laughs) But, you know, she's killing it. And, you know, how she was, how she's doing today is she feels profoundly more energized, profoundly better, just kicking booty and taking names far better than she was doing 10 years ago. 
And really what it was is we, you know, not only do we address those hormone symptoms, which again, were just kind of an indicator of something deeper happening, but we were able to really, you know, help support our liver, help support our gut, help reduce inflammation. And it's amazing when your body is working, really working for you, because it's always trying to every little hormone, every little cell, it's core mode of operation is to ensure your survival, ensure that you're thriving. But if they're struggling, you know, it's going to be a difficult road. And now we I look at her, you know, 10 years later, and 10 years ago, she was 49 years old. So you can do the math. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, 10 years later, and you, you think about that age, and we always, you know, however people want to think about that age, well deep into midlife, that we, we've been sold this bill of goods, especially women, that we are old, you know, that we, our bodies don't function. And watching my mom, you know, completely flip that myth on its head and making those changes at a time where most women feel like, oh my gosh, this is it, you know? And it's just, that's what's possible. And there's nothing inherently unique about my mama, except that she decided to make those changes. Mm -hmm. I always say that you have to make the decision. Like you have to decide that you're worth it, that this is something that you feel is going to fundamentally change your life. And if you make that decision, I think all of these changes are completely possible. I mean, like I did a lot of this in my 20s in college as a start, and it was tremendously difficult because I was just feeling around in the dark. Whereas nowadays, there's so much amazing information. There's your podcast, for instance, like there's just so much out there that you your can- podcast. Well, yeah, mine too. Yeah, exactly. But I'm on your podcast. So we're talking about yours. Okay. <laughs> And, you know, like, and your work and my work and so many of us who do this and, you know, to really have develop an understanding of, of what's going on in your body, you know, this idea of you know, body literacy, which is, you know, really deepening that knowledge that your, you know, your body is basically telling you things, it's giving you messages and your menstrual cycle is like the biggest message. I mean, People who do not have menstrual cycles don't have this amazing tool that they can use or they can utilize. And, you know, it tells you things like we were talking about with this vital sign conversation earlier. If you have a really heavy period or it's really painful or you have no period, those are key indicators that something's going on. Like if you don't have a period, that's a sign that you're not ovulating. And if you're not ovulating, you're not making these really yummy, juicy hormones like estrogen and progesterone and testosterone in the levels that you need to be making them. And over time, that impacts not only your brain health, it impacts your bone health, it impacts your mood and your mental health state. You know, there are so many aspects to the roles that these hormones play in our bodies. And yet we're just not aware of that. And so we think that Again, we can medicate away our periods with some sort of hormonal birth control, or you know, we can like just have our uteruses removed if we have extremely heavy periods or extremely painful periods, or we have a condition like endometriosis or adenomyosis. But the problem is not your uterus. The problem is system-wide, like you were saying. And so we have to look at all the other hormones because if your sex hormones are messed up, all the other ones are too. Like I said, your cortisol and your insulin and you know other hormones hormones too, potentially like pregnenolone, which is like another one of those top tier hormones or DHEA even, or your androgens. And, you know, that could trigger 
no ovulation or it could, can trigger polycystic ovary syndrome in some women who are susceptible and melatonin. I mean, like there's so many. So we have to really start to look at what the habits are in our lives that are triggering these hormones to respond in this way, because eventually, yes, these period problems develop and then you have to start to backtrack and make an effort to address that. Here's the deal. Once the period problems come into play, we definitely know we need to to do the work. Once it gets to the reproductive hormones, once it gets and it starts messing with your period, you're full in at that point that we've really got to start investigating and seeing what's going on because most likely you had whispers and small signals that you weren't paying attention to because you didn't think you had to that were telling you early on. I know for you and I, that was very much the case, right? It was all that said, it wasn't until you had like some major physical symptoms where you're just like, oh, okay, something isn't right here anymore. And I think the sooner we can educate each and every one of you to be looking for those smaller symptoms, those smaller whispers, the better off we're all going to be. Oh, yes, I know, right? Like that's the thing we've, when you think about the fact that we have, we've sort of been, programmed, I suppose, to not pay attention to those little whispers, right? That little voice. And that's, again, where period literacy, body literacy comes in, where you're actually starting to look at these things and pinpoint them and say, well, maybe that's not totally normal. And, you know, when we think back to being kids, you know, you went to the doctor for whatever, you had an air infection, or you had some other issue, a skin issue, perhaps, or you needed antibiotics for something, you had a cold we always went to the doctor in but the under the belief that they were going to fix us right like we just you know we go there and there we're going to get a cute band-aid <laughs> and we're going to get medication and then you get better and it doesn't really quite work that way as an adult with chronic issues like we have to apply a different method of healing when we have a problem that has persisted for three months or more. In the case of pretty much everyone we've all worked with, that's definitely the case for everyone is that they've had some kind of issue that has just been persistent and has not gone away with the antibiotics or with the birth control pill or even like a surgery or a minor procedure or something like the thing is coming back. And that's, you know, that's where you step into your power, right? As the, as the boss lady, the owner of your body. And there you have access to information that can help you start to shift your life around so that you can really address the issues that you're dealing with. Absolutely. Are there some, when we're talking about period literature and just becoming a period detective, are there apps, what do you recommend for us to start looking at this more closely? There's a couple of things. I think the first thing that we all have to do, if, you know, again, this is if you're still cycling. If you're not cycling, then it doesn't technically apply because you don't have a cycle to track, to track anymore. Right. Yeah. But like if you are still cycling, this is from. And any- if you're not cycling, that is totally okay as well. At menopause and beyond, you freed mm-hmm. up energy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You don't have to have babies no more. If you're not cycling and you're at an age where you should be cycling, I want you to go and check out Nicole immediately, but go on my dear. Oh yes, of course. I know. Right. Seriously. So this idea of tracking your cycle, right. And I, I know that a lot of people use apps and whatnot, and you're just sort of inputting the first day you get your period and that's really it. But I really encourage you to 
not only add in the day you get your period, but how heavy that period is, like based on, you know, whatever the parameters are in the app that you're using. So determine like how heavy your period is or how light it is, how long your period lasts for. Is it just one day of spotting or is it seven days of bleeding heavily? Or is it just like four days of like light, medium, light kind of thing? Like I want everyone to really determine you know, like sort of map their menstrual cycle, so to speak, to determine what's normal for them. Because remember, what's normal for you is likely not the norm, <laughs> the generally accepted norm. And so I think it's important for us to, to have a baseline of what's going on for us. And so how many days are you bleeding? How long, uh, sorry, how much are you bleeding? The statistical average is five days. And so I like to see around four to five days, although three days is okay too. But anything over seven days, I really am like, okay, that's probably too much blood loss and it's too heavy. So something to think about. And then what's the color of your period blood? Like, is it really, really dark? Is it brown? Is it black? Or is it like a bright, bright, vibrant red? Or is it like light pink and watery? So that's a sign of some kind of hormonal issue happening as well, possibly too much estrogen all the way to too little estrogen if it's a light, light color. And then are you spotting? So that's one of the biggest things as well. Are you spotting in the lead up to your period? Like, five, 10 days before you get your period? Do you spot for multiple days after your period ends? Again, that's another sign too, that something is potentially up. The final thing is period pain and symptoms. Do you have pain? Like make a note of the pain that you're experiencing throughout your period and in the days before your period or pelvic pain that you experience throughout the month that are, is potentially disruptive, like an ache or pain here or there is no big deal. But if you have ovulatory pain, for instance, like when an egg is released during ovulation, does that like knock you down or do you just feel like a little twinge or do you not feel anything at all? And I also, I think that ovulatory pain is, you know, again, another type of pain that's continually normalized, but it's not, it's not normal to have increasing pain at your ovulation time, every single cycle. It's, it's actually not a good thing. And it's indicative potentially of possibly endometriosis or ovarian cysts. It could also just be indicative of what you were talking about, in increasing inflammation, because prostaglandins are these hormone-like substances, and they're released when progesterone drops at the end of your cycle, right as you're getting your period, and then they go to work triggering contractions in the uterus, but they're also responsible for ovulation as well. So they actually help that egg get released from your ovary from the follicle that it's in on your ovary at ovulation. So if you have crazy amounts of inflammation in your body, whether that's from diet or from stress or from an underlying infection or um, environmental toxins or your liver isn't breaking things down properly or your gut's not working great, those prostaglandins rise, those inflammatory prostaglandins go up because you're overall inflamed. Like that's just the trigger. And so if you have, you know, chronic period pain, it could be because you're inflamed or it could be a pathological condition like endometriosis or adenomyosis. Or when it comes to ovulatory pain, it could just be that you're just super inflamed or maybe one of those conditions too. So your menstrual cycle can tell you so much. I know we can't totally do it justice in this short period of time, but those are just some of the ways you can start to track and pay attention to what's going on. And then you can take action from there when you're in the know. 
Mm, absolutely. Because again, it starts to show if something isn't right, it's worth then beginning to investigate, whether it's a thyroid issue that may be throwing it off, whether it's insulin that's maybe throwing it off, maybe it's inflammation or it's stress, like we got to start looking at what may be causing it. And that's where you come into play, my dear. So with all of that, I feel like we, we have a very beautiful picture, not only where to start some of the biggest concerns, some of the mis misconceptions, and really kind of that jump off of what to be looking for. How do we get to plug into you? Oh, yes. Okay. So you can find me on my website. It's NicoleJardim.com. I have a blog with a lot of this information on there, as well as a podcast. And it's called The Period Party. We interview guests like every couple of weeks, we have a new episode and there's just tons of information on there too. And then I have programs. I have a program called Fix Your Period and multiple other programs as well that are similar to that. And they all are addressing these same underlying issues that I've just been describing. And finally, I have a book coming out. It's coming out in April of 2020 and it's called Fix Your Period as well. And it actually details my almost my entire protocol that you would find in my programs. And, you know, again, like that's going to be just such an amazing resource for anyone who is struggling with what I was talking about, like these top tier hormonal imbalances and how do I start to fix them on that level and then on the sex hormone level too. Oh, I love it. And I'm so glad you dropped the book. I was going to mention it anyway. And I know it's April, 2020. However, that's coming around the corner and I want you guys to be plugging into Nicole one way or the other. Also, girl, your Instagram is so amazing and on fire. Oh, yeah. Yes. Where can we find you on Instagram? You guys know how much I love Instagram and I couldn't believe she didn't mention it. I know, you know, it was in my head and then I went to the website and the book. Yeah. Anyway, Instagram. Yes. So Nicole M. Jardim, M. Like Madeline, you can find me on there. And yes, I would love for you to follow me. I do series on different types of hormonal imbalances and different types of period related issues like PMS or endometriosis or whatever. So all kinds of things on there. And I would love to, to meet anyone who's listening on socials. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, girl. I, you know, you are one of my dearest friends and I love that, you know, it's so great when, when your dearest friends are in such alignment with what you believe to be true in the world, especially around women's bodies. And Nicole and I are both big proponents of ending period poverty. You know, we support a lot of the same foundations and it just feels so good to be in alignment with your mission as well, that we share that same mission. So I just want to say thank you so much. And I can't wait to have you back on because girl, you're coming back on to talk about your book in just a couple of months as well um, so that we can continue to highlight your expertise. Thank you. Thanks, Marisa. Um, likewise, I feel exactly the same about your work in the world too. And I'm so thrilled that you invited me on the podcast again. Thank you. Thanks, honey. Talk to you soon. All right, you too. Bye. Well, I just get so giddy and so so excited to be able to bring Nicole on. And I also have so much gratitude for her sharing her truth about hormonal imbalance and teaching us how to track and honor our cycle and pay a lot of attention to it so we understand what's going on with our body. I always learn something new when I hang out with her and clearly we love to have fun too. Now, if you would like to get to the bottom of what's going on with your period and you want to dig into fixing it, I know for a fact that Nicole is your perfect expert. So check her out on Instagram or even on her website. I will also have a link to her Fix Your Period quiz in case you want to dive into getting to the root cause of what's going on with your menstrual cycle. You can head on into my show notes for episode 145. I can't believe it's 145. So exciting. Or go to drmarisa.com slash podcast. 
Also, do not forget to grab my hormone remedies. These blends are going to knock your socks off. You're going to love them. It's drmarisa.com slash hormone blends. The link will also be in the show notes. And I just want to say thank you so much for stopping by and listening into the Essentially You podcast. In an upcoming episode, the next episode, we're going to be continuing this conversation about the menstrual cycle, and I'm going to be sharing how to own the four phases of your cycle and how to prepare and rock each phase. Again, the more we know, I think we should just dig a little bit deeper, the more we can set ourselves up for success. And ultimately, that is what we deserve. Until then, have an amazing day. 